Welcome to the Meta Business Podcast. The Metaverse and Web3 are bringing about the biggest revolution since the internet itself. With your hosts, Paul the Prophet Dawalibi and Jeff the Juice Cohen, we will be bringing you the latest Metaverse business news and insight into what it all means. The Meta Business Podcast starts now. From the boardroom to the Metaverse, this is the Meta Business Podcast. I am Paul the Prophet Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, Jeff the Juice Cohen. For those of you who are new to the Meta Business Podcast, welcome. What we do here is we cover all the big Metaverse news and stories of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in the Metaverse. For those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. If you've come here from the business of esports, also welcome. We encourage you guys to subscribe to the Meta Business Podcast. Leave a review if you love the content we put out every week. We really would appreciate a five-star review wherever you get this podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever. Jeff, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. We are, we're recording this. It's the week between uh, Christmas and New Year's. It's always the, the weirdest week of the year. You know, everyone's <laughs> uh, sort of off from work, but not really, uh, you know, basically sitting on the couch watching Netflix or doing whatever they do, spending time with family. But the news never stops and, and the metaverse <laughs> never stops. So here we are, uh, excited to get going. <laughs> it doesn't, and I can tell you, I said this on the Business of Esports podcast, everyone thinks this is the slowest week of the year. We are crushing it. Literally all of our content is hitting like record highs, whether it's Meta Business or Business of Esports or Meta Woman or literally everything. This is the best week ever for all of our content. So I don't know if there's a business lesson in there, but... Uh, everyone, well, everyone's just sitting on what their people couch. are doing. Listening to podcasts, I would say they, you know, I listen to most of my podcasts when I work out, which is why I don't get around to listening to many of the episodes (laughs) that we record because, you know, I don't work out enough. But after the new year, you know, that's going to be a big, uh, a big push in the Cohen household. So the juice will be caught up on all things uh, podcast. That's not totally fair for our listeners. They should know that the juice himself is a is a record holding like all-star lacrosse player. So like, it's not totally fair <laughs> to say you don't work out. So, uh, <laughs> um, all right, let's, let's, I don't want to waste any time here. Let's jump into some news because believe it or not, even though this is the week bef- between Christmas and new year, there actually was a ton of metaverse news. I mean, the hype has not stopped. The activity has not stopped. And and let's start here with a, an article. You you know you found this one, Jeff, and and I think the headline was very catchy. Here, the headline said, "How the Metaverse Won Christmas." This may end up being the title of this podcast, <laughs> um, but but fundamentally, it, it has three key points in this article. It's from CNBC, and here they're talking about Meta, which is Facebook's parent company. They had the most popular app in Apple's App Store on Christmas, and that is the Oculus VR app. That's like the companion app if you own an Oculus VR headset. And the second point here says it's a sign Meta's VR headset was one of the most popular technology gifts over the holidays. This, this gives Meta more opportunity to show customers the possibilities of its vision for the metaverse. So um, Oculus having huge success, right? The, the article basically says Oculus won Christmas. And, you know, mm-hmm. they've generalized it to the metaverse, but let's call it like it is. It's Oculus that won Christmas here. What do you make of this, Jeff? Is it, you know, is this a turning point? Is this, are we not there yet? Like the metaverse it's, hardware. It's interesting. I mean, it's it's too early to call this necessarily 
um, an inflection point because I feel like we've had too many stops and starts in terms of VR uh, to really know if this is the true kind of uh, we're coming up the adoption curve. We, we sort of saw, I remember uh, during the pandemic, like the very early stages of the pandemic when Half-Life Alex came out from Valve and everyone was like, well, this is it. Finally, there's a killer app. There's a yeah. game on VR that everyone wants to play. It's exclusive to VR. This is it. There's going to be mass adoption. Boom. And, and that sort of never really happened. Um, and I'm not sure the exact postmortem to that. Maybe it was the game just wasn't good or the platform wasn't ready. Things were too expensive. Uh, you know, that's kind of a different subject that we don't ne- necessarily want to get, get into. Um, but we've seen this before. Um, so I do think it's a little bit too early to say, uh, you know, the VR market, it's a classic, um, you know, platform problem where you have, you know, it's, it's a two-sided platform. You need users and then you need developers. And you don't really get developers until there's a big enough user base for it to be worthwhile to develop games for. And you don't get people to buy the Oculus until there's good games or kind of a a killer app, if you will. So it is good right now that you're starting to see this user base. Consumer electronics are always a popular gift on Christmas. Uh, So this year, you know, that that was the case with Oculus. The question I have is, is there really a killer app yet? Have we seen enough developers adopting this? and I guess the question moving forward will be, what does usage look like? Because it could be very easily be, hey, everyone got this, at this, you know, the Oculus for Christmas from grandma, and they're going to use it for a week, realize, hey, there's really just not that many games on here now, and then it's going to get put in the closet. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to kind of monitor how usage tracks and stuff like that. So I would pose that question to you. And then I think the bigger question that, you know, you were probably leading me towards that I didn't really cover is sort of how how do we tie this to the metaverse? Like, is this, would, if this is the, you know, the kind of the coming, coming out party for VR, is that sort of important for the metaverse? I'll pose that, I yep. guess, to you. Um, I'm going to get to answering that question. I just, I want to put this up on the screen and I'll, for those listening, I'll try and describe it, but this is like your standard technology adoption curve. Okay. And at the bottom sort of it's it's a it looks like a bit like a bell curve right it's a it's a what is this an inverted parabola um yep. and and at the bottom you've got enthusiasts and and there the the statement is i have to be the first to try this then you have visionaries further up the curve i want to show you this helpful tool i found then you have pragmatists further up the curve why should i start using this technology that's what they ask themselves and then conservatives on the other end, right? This is after it has, it has peaked, adoption has peaked. I was skeptical, but I should have tried this earlier. And then finally, skeptics are the toughest, right? To get on board. And they'll, they'll tell themselves, I guess I can give it a try, but I need help. Where do you think with Oculus and VR, we are on this adoption curve in your mind? I, I think we're probably maybe in the second, second quadrant. Um, so visionaries. Yeah, I think we're probably there. Me, pragmatist, I don't like the name. Like, I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, let's see. Why should I start using this technology? Eh, maybe between somewhere between two and three. I think we have moved past the, I have to be the first to try this. Because those were the yeah. people that were buying Oculus three, four, five, you know, six years ago. Um, yeah. I, I think we're kind of in quadrant two, quadrant three. I don't know. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. I think. You know, the, the, the question you asked, though, is a good one, Jeff, which is what is the impact on the metaverse here? And, and I'll just also mention, you know, the, the guest we had on the Business of Esports podcast this week is a software developer. And his feeling was 
I asked him sort of something around this. And he had this sort of interesting perspective where it's a pendulum between software and hardware. And we've been in this software mode, right? Where you have Roblox and you have Epic and Fortnite and Unreal and you have, you know, Minecraft. And there's a whole bunch of software being built for the metaverse, NFTs and blockchain and blockchain-based games. And right, everyone's writing code. But there's this feeling like it, the pendulum's going to swing back towards hardware. And there's going to be sort of this era of hardware innovation where software might be relatively stagnant, but where you're going to see a ton of innovation on the hardware side. And, and, and I don't know if Oculus is the one that's going to lead that. But I think what Oculus has done from a price point and marketing perspective is they've made VR truly accessible to anyone, right? So anyone who wants to experience the early days of the metaverse, if you want to call it that, can, right? There's really no mm -hmm. barrier anymore. It's not complicated, right? You don't need like base stations in your room. The setup's easy. It's totally portable. You recharge it like a phone, right? Like there's literally nothing that, that my own grandmother couldn't figure out, right? And so I think that's a major accomplishment that we have to ascribe to Oculus, which is why it's sold like hot, like hot cakes during Christmas. And it's also probably the only console, if you want to consider it a console, that was in stock, right? Like people couldn't get an Xbox or a PS5. I think you could still get an Oculus. Even if people put it away, like try it and put it away, like you said, might be that sort of worst case scenario. The fact of the matter is there's going to be this massive install base of VR headsets. And from a coming of the metaverse perspective, I think that's a requirement, right? Like even if people aren't actively using it day to day, at that's least fair, there's but this I install base. I guess I would pose 100% having the install base. It's a chicken and egg problem. Having the install base is a massive prerequisite. But I'm almost thinking to myself, is it better for people to not have tried it yet and have just this idea of what the metaverse <laughs> is or try it and have it not be what they think it is because it's not the technology is not there yet. And I think you're the guest on the pot, like the, the hardware software kind of uh, uh, pendulum. I actually love that. Like, I think that that makes a ton of sense. Um, but yeah, I'm wondering if maybe it's worse if people try it and are like, well, that just wasn't that good. And <laughs> yeah. then you sort of set, you set yourself back because now it's even harder to get those people because they're like, I already tried that. It's just not that interesting. I mean, I see your point, right? Like they, 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 they fire up beat saber and they're like, this is, this is like, this the is the that I, was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, I see your point. I, I think I probably disagree in the sense that, and I know, you know, you're making the point to, to, to create discussion here, but like, uh, I, I feel like better expose people to it, even if it's not the end game, because this creates more discussion. I think they're more likely to buy a next gen Oculus or whatever the next thing is, right? Like, I feel like if you expose people to it, even if they're somewhat, and I don't know if anyone has in their mind sort of this grand vision of the metaverse. Like, I don't think anyone buys an Oculus thinking this is going to be ready player one. Do you think yeah. like that's what? No, probably not. I guess uh, from a more fundamental level, I don't know if we've ever discussed this yet on the podcast. Like, do you think the metaverse is VR a, a requisite of the metaverse or is it just immersion? Is it something, you know, cause you could argue playing a game of grand theft auto, you can be immersed in that game. Um, you're not in VR, but you can be 
you know, by definition immersed where it's like, you feel like you're in the world or do you need that presence where you're, you know, you're in VR. This is tricky because it's a, it's a word definition problem, right? Like if we define VR as a headset I'm wearing with screens built into the headset, that's to me, that's not the end game, right? Like if we're thinking 20, 30 years from now, no way that's the end game. I think I've always, what I've always described it as is Star Trek's holodeck. Like even Ready Player One to me is not the end game for humanity when it comes to metaverses. Star Trek's holodeck truly is, in my mind, basically the end game where... And, and for the people who never saw Star Trek... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a I mean, room. I'm just saying there might be some of our yeah. listeners. So that's true. Seen. It's true. It's a room you definitely walk not into. Me. Not me, definitely. And the room can create any reality you ask of it, right? And... And it's totally indistinguishable from reality. So oh, if you so want like to the go room of requirement from Harry Potter, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is a reference I don't get, but Star Trek's holodeck makes sense to me. <laughs> um, um, but no, that like where it's where you, you're, there's no hardware other than the space you're occupying. To me, that's the end game. Right. Yeah. And where space sort of loses all meaning also, right. You could be, you could uh, you the the reality you're in could occupy a vast space. Now I don't know if you saw the Elon Musk interview with the Babylon Bee. You know he sort of made fun of of you know I don't he didn't he basically said I don't think there's a future where we're going to wear TVs on our like on our faces. Mm-hmm. So he I think also doesn't believe that there's this sort of VR headset long term future. But I think where he's putting his bets from from the interview at least or from where I think he thinks it's heading is more just like electrical, like where we plug in, right? Where we can feed electrical signals to your brain to create the reality. You don't even need a room at that point, right? We can create the reality in your own mind um, if we can control those electrical impulses, you know, precisely enough. You can create smell and sight and sound and the whole bit. So, you know, those brain computer interfaces maybe are where we end up. Yeah, uh, the challenge of connecting your brain, because I could understand you where you can connect something to someone's brain and it's like you can control what they see but it might yeah. be hard it would be really hard to take it the next step where you're control everyone is con- you know controlling everyone's <laughs> well, brain if everyone's plugged into the same system you could see how that works right yeah it's an interface fundamentally but anyway so i think good on oculus uh, good on meta to me the oculus is meta's greatest strength right like i think it's where they have clear leadership from a metaverse perspective because I think their metaverse strategy otherwise is basically so far all just talk, right? Like there's nothing really there that gives them a serious competitive advantage other than Oculus. hundred percent agree. Um, all right. We talked, we mentioned ready player one. Um, I think it's worth talking about this next story because just because of the, I think it's got a, a clever title here. Uh, and the company's called ready player me, uh, blatant knockoff, obviously of the movie uh, or the book. And, and here, uh, the headline is ready player, me, a metaverse avatar platform raises 13 million in funding. Uh, this is a company called Wolf 3d. They have created, or they're, they're creating a metaverse avatar platform called ready player me. And their goal is to offer a customized avatar that supposedly will carry over across the entire metaverse. So players build their avatar from pictures or from scratch. And according to this, they can use them across, I don't know where they got this number, 900 plus apps and games. 
And they're going to use the funding to establish their place as the default avatar system for the metaverse. Um, according to them, 2021, they grew, they, their adoption grew from 25 to 900 partner companies, where essentially they're partnering to be able to use those avatars in those games. I mean, Jeff, are you are you excited by this? Like, you know, we've talked a little bit. We've alluded to standards and things like that being important for the metaverse, right? Capital mm-hmm. M. Um, is this one of those essential building blocks? Do we, do you think this is a, you know, $50 billion company because they're there first? Uh, I'm curious how you're thinking about this. It's hard to, to, to kind of pass judgment on the, the, uh, like the specific company without kind of seeing their tech and whatnot, but I am very bullish on, on kind of, um, digital fashion and sort of direct to avatar commerce, just because if you think about it, people's appearances in real life are so important in kind of what we buy, what we wear. If we take that to the the logical extreme where we're going to be spending more and more of our time in the metaverse and caring more and more about what our digital presence is, you're going to have digital fashion. So to me, like that, that is a hundred percent happening. The, the bigger question is what does the tech look like and how does the interoperability work? Because it's easy to say, hey, we're going to create a fashion company or a tech, you know, a tech platform that allows you to essentially, hey, you're wearing a skin in Call of Duty. All of a sudden you want to go play Battlefield, you go take the skin to Battlefield. Like that, in theory, I think we all agree, like that is a world that makes a ton of sense and should exist. But there are a lot of logistical challenges, like re- not even logistic, like real world development challenges. Things are built on different engines. There are different companies. If I buy a skin in Call of Duty, that goes into Activision Blizzard's bank account. How does that work when I bring it to Battlefield, which is owned by Electronic Arts, which is a separate legal entity? Like that, there are very, I guess I'll use the word, log- maybe logistical is the right word for it. Like that is a that is a challenge that is a big hurdle to overcome. Um, and, and and maybe the answer is it will, it will, this kind of interoperability will only work in blockchain games and quote unquote these metaverse games because that's just the DNA of these companies and everything won't be owned by the company. It'll be in the blockchain and maybe there'll be when you, tr- it, it's entirely conceivable when you transfer an item from one game to the other, you either pay a small fee or maybe the developer from the first game pays the second developer or vice versa because it's like, hey, maybe I could see the developer in the second game paying the developer in the first game because theoretically you'll probably once you're playing the second game, you'll be you know, very likely to buy a second skin, which then they'll make money from. So it's a little bit of customer acquisition kind of thing. There's a lot of different rabbit holes we can go down and discuss. But at the highest level, I, I think that this kind of organization will exist. It's just a matter of how it, how it will logistically shake out in terms of the, the value chain. Well, let me let me ask you one question before I sort of give my thoughts on this because I I think this will help frame my own thought. Do you think Ready Player Me can be successful if they only have some of the companies like call, like fast forward five years or ten years, right? Like if only ten percent of the games and companies call it operating in in metaverses are signed up with Ready Player Me. Is this a success, you think? Like, is this good for the industry? Or do you think they have to have everything? Like, is this a, an all or nothing kind of? No, I don't think I don't, I don't think they have to have everything. I do think once they hit a threshold, it be, once they become big enough where a certain portion of games have this, 
I think you're going, what you're going to see is other games are going to want to get onto the platform because their users are going to want to get onto the platform. So imagine if you have 10 games where you could, you know, bring your digital gun or your shirt or whatever, your shoes from game to game to game. And then there's 11th game where you can't. So anything you buy in the first 10 games, you can use in all those 10 games, but the 11th game, you have to buy something separate and you can't bring it into your other 10 games. I think that 11th game is going to be, in theory, they're going to be, try to be paying to get into that network because it's going to be a barrier. To, like it will be a friction point for their users, where they you could you could see a world where they could lose users because it's like, hey, well, I already bought this really expensive pair of shoes that I could wear in these ten metaverses, but I can't wear it in that eleventh one. Why would I go to the eleventh one? So I do think there's a you know to use the classic term that's network effects, right? Like at a certain scale, you you do get those network effects. Yeah, I just, I mean, the other question I sort of ask myself is, is this good for the industry, right? Is it good to have a, essentially a monopoly potentially controlling avatars? And, you know, if you look at, call it the Web 2 equivalent or Internet equivalent, right? Mm -hmm. Like identity basically is like an email address, right? <laughs> for the most part, how you log in, how you get into different sites and what sort of represents you on those sites. I, I'm trying to think of another better analogy for identity in the web two universe, but like um, the way I'm understanding it just cause it's not, you know, it's, it's sort of this whole web three ethos is that it's not, they're going to have a monopoly. They would be providing tools or they would be providing uh, essentially the, the rails where the things would transfer over. It's not like, like I don't see them becoming a monopoly. Um, do you? Well, that's not sort of what it sounds like, right? Cause you go and you create your avatar in their system, Right. And then that avatar is portable to these 900 apps and games. Okay. Like to me, that's definitely a, a barrier. It's a, it's a, it's a monopoly of sort on a, on a digital avatar, how they interoperate between all the apps and games. I don't know whether, you know, goods and things are, they make them portable. I don't know. Fundamentally, it still feels like they're going to own a critical piece of the infrastructure that to me should be more of a standard rather than an owned walled garden. Even if their goal is to right, like I, their, their playbook is going to be obvious, right? They're going to go to every developer under the sun. They're going to say, Hey, instead of letting user building code, writing code to allow users to make their own avatars in your game or your app, right? You just integrate our code, our system, all the functionality is there. You don't need to worry about it. And users love it because they, can bring their avatar from the other things they're already signed up for, right? Yeah. It's an easy argument to make. Long term though, I don't know if that's good for the industry, right? Like I think I've I've continued to espouse the benefits of open standards if we want to see a true metaverse, right? In other words, some kind of definition of what an avatar is, right? A structure, a framework that companies like Ready Player Me can implement but 10 other companies can also implement if they want as well. And the, 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 nat the nature of the standard makes it interoperable, not the whim of a single corporation. I see what you're saying. You want them to be like a digital fashion company where it's like anyone can technically, anyone can make a pair of shoes, but Nike can make Nike shoes. Like Adidas yes. makes Adidas shoes, you know, yeah. Reebok makes Reebok shoes. I, I think I agree with that. I think, you know, some sort of open source standard. And then you have all these different call them digital retailers or digital fashion companies where it's like, yeah, hey, you know, we're, we're creating this. 
Yeah, I mean, that's possible. It's just, you know, people but, generally, people end up gravitating towards economic incentives. Like, who's going to create that open platform? And, and if they create it, why are they not going to want to make money off it? it? Well, here this is why I worry about this investment for the investors, because I think the natural urge of humans and what we saw, if we look at the Web2 world and how it evolved again, and I come back to this, right? There were some key players who are all for-profit commercial entities, right? That decided on a set of standards because it benefited all of them, right? As opposed to benefiting one. And I think we will see something similar where at some point the for-profit entities get together and it's probably the metaverses, right? The, the, the plat metaverse platforms themselves, they get together and say, hey, Let's agree on some kind of avatar framework. It, everyone wins in the end, right? And and instead of competing on all these things and hurting each other, we can all win, right? And so I think companies like this over time get marginalized a bit, get squeezed out if, they, if they're not on that same standard. And I suspect the 900 apps and games that they're partnered with are kind of like nothing burgers, right? They're, they're like... Yeah, they're inconsequential. It's a big number that sounds nice, but fundamentally, there's not much there. Um, so I worry a little bit from an investment perspective. I probably would not have invested um, just, you know, given that. I think the end game is more open, has to be for this vision to happen. Fair. But I see short term how, how potentially they, they, they benefit from this. Um, all right, let's let's move on. You you mentioned your big proponent of fashion in the metaverse, Jeff. So we have to do, I think, a, a metaverse fashion story here. And the headline here is Decentraland Luxury Marketplace UNXD to host Metaverse Fashion Week. Decentraland and UNXD are calling on fashionistas, fashionistas to have their virtual collections ready to show in the metaverse. Um, the fashion program. Uh, which is Decentraland's first, is going to take place March 24th to 27th. It's essentially a metaverse fashion week. They're going to have catwalk shows, pop-up shops, and after parties. They're calling on designers, brands to get collections ready. And this environment is going to be, you know, uh, what they say is this: the, the metaverse may represent a trillion dollars in annual revenue, according to this report. I thought that was an interesting statistic. But... Uh, this is the first we've heard, I think, of a metaverse fashion week, yeah. uh, like the equivalent of a London fashion week or a Paris fashion week or New York fashion week. Uh, they also mentioned that UNXD here worked with Dolce & Gabbana to launch their NFT collection. And um, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about fashion and the metaverse colliding. Um, will we see, and maybe this is a stupid question, but... You know, and I've been to a few fashion weeks here and there around the world. Will we see Vogue covering Decentraland's Metaverse Fashion Week? I think we, I think we definitely will, um, just because it's so novel. So you know, like anything else, it's it, the first of its kind will generally get covered. And um, you know, I think we saw that with with uh, Fortnite and some of the concerts they did. It was like the first couple it was covered by like the New York times. And now it, it's sort of just a, a occurrence that happens in the game decently frequently. And it's not as big of a, a public news story, but I do think the first fashion week in the metaverse is, is absolutely going to get coverage. Cause it's just for people who aren't as ingrained in this world as, as we are and listeners of this podcast are, it, 
it sounds crazy. Like it, that is a headline that is going to catch people's attention. So I do think it will be, it will be covered. Um, I like this move for Decentraland. I mean, we, I think in prior episodes, we've given Decentraland, or at least I know I have given Decentraland a little bit of a hard time. Um, and it, it hasn't been clear to me what sort of drives people to that platform versus like a Roblox per se. And I think carving out a niche of fashion is an interesting you know, an interesting one. I think we've seen other Roblox is sort of the everything store. Everything's there. You know, maybe Fortnite has done a good job carving out the music scene a little bit. Obviously, there's a ton of other things that Fortnite movies does. Also. They've, they've obviously yep. been forward leading with with mu- movies and music. And and yep. maybe Decentraland um, can kind of carve out a little bit of a niche of early adopters here with fashion. Um, so, I, I, you know, as in terms of risk reward and a business strategy for Decentraland, I, I think this is a very good one. You know, in a world with $1,000 Balenciaga Fortnite hoodies, right? I, I, I'll, I'll just, I'm, I, I'm hard to disagree with you on this, that, you know, especially going after luxury brands, this may be by far the most profitable strategy of any sort of metaverse kind of activation, right? If you can go and get big designers, big fashion houses, all these luxury brands, I think you're going to attract an audience who only care to collect, right? Like it doesn't even matter if it has little utility mm-hmm. and, uh, an in like something that was first on the runway for Gucci and Decentraland will have buyers like guaranteed because there are people who will buy anything Gucci, right? Anything new, limited, novel, whatever. Um, and so your point's a good one. I just, I'm surprised no one else has courted the luxury brands in the same way earlier, right? Because the luxury brands have shown an affinity to new technologies, right? They've shown that they have budget to try things. The Louis Vuittons of the world have done lots of things in gaming, for example, right? Why? Is, can I give a theory? Sorry, is it possible? Sorry to cut you off. Is it possible that um, it's it's just about the demographics of the platform? No, I, I, I don't know the specific demographics of Decentraland, but uh, given it's an early adopter, kind of crypto gaming, blockchain gaming marketplace, I'm guessing it's a bit of an older, more affluent crowd. Like, I, I think some of the collabs, one of the criticisms we've had of sort of Fortnite and and, and Roblox when they've done collaborations with um, luxury brands is sort of like, is that really the demographic? Like, I know the novelty and you get some press, but is putting a Gucci collaboration in a game where the average kid is a nine-year-old boy like what does that really do for you besides saying hey we have a metaverse strategy like is that really going to sell handbags and shoes i'm not convinced and i'm not sure if the data is out there yet that that's convincing these cmos that that that's good roi on that spend but if you have something like central end which maybe skews a bit of a different demographic i i could see that maybe being a reason why you're bringing it in here rather than there it's a it's a worthy argument um you know, I think the more and more I see of this, the more and more I'm starting to believe, though, that I think we underestimate and, and you've I know you exaggerated to make a point, but so I'll exaggerate to make this a similar point. We've underestimated like the nine year old audience in the sense that like they've grown up in this, you know, fashion drop, supreme hype beast kind of culture, right? The latest Air Jordans or Yeezys or whatever. and. And so, you know, I think the Gucci's of the world, the Dolce & Gabbana's, the, you know, these old fashion houses that have been around for a hundred years, right? They want a part of this. Like, I think in some ways, maybe they want that audience, right? So 
it could be that you're you're absolutely right. It's a question of demographics, and they don't the nine year olds aren't the buyers. That's the you know this older more, but it could also just be that we've completely underestimated those nine year olds. That is, I mean, that is entirely possible. <laughs> I, I do think though that uh, the I guess here's my question: Is does Decentraland corner the market on luxury brands, right no. from a metaverse perspective? No, uh, and I think I think it, it will also only not like, be in the best interest of these luxury brands to only go to one platform. So I think if this is successful, you'll probably see this in other platforms. Um, you know, same way we've seen it with music and other platforms as well. After Fortnite kind of popularized it, so I, I don't think they'll be able to. Then this was kind of the question I was going to pose to you: like, even if this is successful, which we sort of both, I, it sounds like, think it probably will be in terms of impressions, yeah. hype, whatever, news articles, coverage. What what then happens? A bunch of people go to Decentraland for these three days or whatever. Probably most of them check out, check in the first day and don't go back. What happens after that? Like, does this grow the user base? Do people do they build like a sort of like a really high end fashion mall in Decentraland? Like, what's what's the end game or what is Decentraland getting out of this? All of the above, but like if the if the if the analogy is Paris Fashion Week, right? Then you're going to do it twice a year, not once a year right? All the big houses will have collections twice a year, maybe three times a year if you throw in a, you know, a, a cruise collection or something like that. And, and, um, and, and retail, essentially metaverse retail to go along with it. Like, to me, that's it. And this is where I, I actually kind of think that if Decentraland is first and best with this, it becomes hard to displace a little bit in the same way, like, I can't go and create it's hard to go and create a competitor to New York Fashion Week, right? Like, I just can't start that up. And there's a respect among the designers. It's the biggest show. It's right. Like, no one wants to show at Paul Dewalibi's Fashion Week, right? Like, it's just. You don't know that. You don't know that I, until I don't, you try. That's true. I don't know that. But I suspect New York Fashion Week will still be the more the more popular destination. So in some ways, like, I think one of the, the criticisms I've had of some of these metaverse platforms if you want to call them that, is they're not that sticky, right? Like I can go create an account on Roblox and in Fortnite and in Decentraland and in wherever else and everything under the sun we want to call even vaguely a metaverse and move between them, use them all, right? There's nothing that really ties me to one. Yeah, some network effects because my friends are here or there, but friends easily move too, right? There's nothing really blocking. This to me is the start of starting to see some real stickiness, right? If you can... If you can get all the fashion brands there, and this is the only place you can get their goods, their virtual goods, and this is the only place you can see the latest and greatest, maybe there's the start of something, you know, relatively sticky there. I see your argument, but I don't, I don't necessarily think I believe it because I just think the fashion houses would be incentivized to put their goods in any of these metaverses, particularly whichever one had the most users. So I'm not, I'm not as convinced that, that you would get that customer lock-in. The question I would have for you, so I agree that there isn't a ton of stickiness in these metaverses currently. I guess the question I have, obviously that's bad for them as businesses, but isn't that sort of what we want as the future we see as the metaverse is probably this multi-metaverse type future where it's, hey, I jump into Roblox, then I jump into Decentraland, and I just have this presence that can, you know, kind of comes with me to each one. Isn't that sort of exactly what we want or what we think is going to happen? 
Yeah, you're in an ideal world. You're right. Actually, it's a great it's a great counterpoint, right? In an ideal world, you don't want them to be that sticky, but but them being interconnected and interoperable is not at odds with them being sticky, right? It's like the world has different shopping malls connected by roads, but I may go to this one mall because it has an Apple store and the other mall doesn't, right? Like you could still have stickiness within a specific platform, even if it's totally interconnected with other platforms. So I see the business benefit of trying to create some stickiness, not just sort of throwing your hands in the air and saying, hey, you know, we will never be sticky because this is all going to be one big metaverse. So like, right. Well, of course, as businesses, they have, you know, they're, they're obviously trying to keep people in their metaverse. Um, Jeff, I can't think of a better way to wrap up this. It was, it was just, I feel like the, these episodes fly by. Um, and I hope they're always enjoyable for the people who listen, for you guys who are listening. Uh, just if you love the show, do us a favor, go leave a review, five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get it. Uh, and subscribe to the podcast, like hit the follow button or subscribe button, wherever it is, costs you nothing. Uh, and you make sure you get the episode right when it comes out. I know, uh, Jeff and I really appreciate it. Jeff, thank you as always. And, uh, we will see you guys next week. Thank you guys. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Business. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Business.